the gospel is taken from Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 23a. The setting of this is that Jesus has just been informed of the death of John the Baptist at the hands of Herod. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. And Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds and all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who, were, who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And may I say amen. You've set my heart in the right place. Good morning again. I came of age in the 1960s, and it was pretty common for a teenage boy during that time to know the name, the make, the model of every car that came off the assembly line in Detroit. Ford Mustangs, Plymouth Barracudas, Chevy Corvettes, we even knew the sizes of their engines, right? Uh, 426 Hemi, uh, 409 big block V8 engine. Did I see some heads uh, nodding? Yeah, yeah. You know, and my favorite band even wrote songs about those cars and those engines. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I, I gave this sermon, and, and uh, I actually sang a little bit of the Beach Boys 409, Giddy Up, Giddy Up 409. My wife was with me. She said, Jim, please don't ever do that again. <laughs> so I'm so tempted, but I, I, I think I should spare you that. Um, but you know, at, at the same time, I, I grew up in a home with a mother who loved nature and loved everything about the creation. And my mom would question me as a young boy, and she'd say, Jimmy, do you know the names of the trees? Can you name the birds? I look back today and I, I know my love of nature, my love of being in the outdoors, that that's where it began. That's where I learned to be still. It's where I learned to, to, to listen to the voices inside. I love this quote from John Muir, John Muir, the founder of the Sierra Club. I only went for a walk and I finally concluded to stay out till sundown. For going out, I found I was really going in. 
In scriptures, we find repeatedly Jesus going into the wilderness to be still, to pray, to listen to the voice of the Father. The psalmist in Psalm 46 writes, Be still and know that I am God. I'm going to read that this morning if you uh, want to follow me. It's Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, the psalmist, he speaks of our fears, our anxieties, the things we do not know, and the failings of our humanity. We've learned to master the art of distraction, even deception. Our gadgets, they aid us today. And to many, for many of us in today's world, we are forever plugged in, forever tuned out. It begins very early. Richard Louvre quotes a fourth grader in his book, Last Child in the Woods. I like to play indoors because that's where all the electrical outlets are. Steve Jobs, a name synonymous with cutting edge innovation, groundbreaking technology. So it might come as a surprise for us to learn that the former Apple CEO didn't believe in letting his kids use the company's greatest products, the iPhone, the iPad. Jobs, who died in 2011, may have had an instinctive flair for technology, but he was a low-tech parent, a low-tech dad, who firmly believed in restricting his children's access to those electronic devices. We limit how much technology we let our kids use at home, Jobs said. Be still and know that I am God. So how, how, how do we learn to be still? Frederick Beekner, when defining meditation, he writes, in our minds we are continually chattering with ourselves. The purpose of meditation is to stop it, to stop it. He says to begin, try to concentrate on a single object, perhaps the flame of a candle or your own breath. 
If we persist, he says, we'll enter a state of consciousness, but we're no longer conscious of anything particular, where we have let go of almost everything. The end of meditation is to become empty enough to be filled with the kind of stillness that the psalmist has in mind when he said, be still and know that I am God. In Luke 5, Jesus heals a man with leprosy. I can only imagine the scene, the, the, just the commotion created among the crowds, drawing more and more attention onto Jesus. Luke tells us he withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. In Mark 6, the disciples come to terms with the horrific beheading of John the Baptist. Jesus says to them, come away by yourselves to a lonely place and rest a while. And they went away in a boat to a lonely place by themselves. And again in Matthew 26, we're led to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus seeks solitude. He goes to be alone. He says to the disciples, sit here while I go yonder and pray. For it is in this private space that Jesus is both vulnerable and intimate with the Father, questioning, but in the end, surrendering to the will of the Father. Now, for many years at Urban Promise, I've taken our students into the wilderness to be still. No cell phones, no place to plug anything in, Nighttime hikes under the stars where we only listen. Silence, only the sounds of our movement, the stirring of the night forest, or walks onto a frozen glacial pond where we lie down and we place our ear to the ice. We listen to the sounds of that monolithic sheet of ice as it just groans, as it expands sitting around a campfire at Assateague Island, listening to the crackling fire as the waves break on the shore, to be still, listening to the world around us and to the voices that are within. Some years ago, I, I had an opportunity to be on a cable TV program. It's called Red Letter Christians. By, and I was interviewed by Tony Campolo and Shane Claiborne. And if you stay up late, late at night, you may find that Christian channel, Red Letter Christians, on a TV. I think I've known two people that have ever seen it, actually. But, I, you know, Tony was, was interviewing me. And he was asking me about, uh, gee, Jim, you take kids out into the wilderness. You have all these amazing adventures. You're, you're building wooden boats with kids. And he said, but, you know, Jim, I'm an old-time Bible-teaching preacher. And I want to know if any of this is leading to winning young people over to Jesus Christ and accepting Jesus Christ as their personal savior. Well, my answer was a resounding yes, but I said, Tony, that's not where I start. Over the years, my students and I have had our come to Jesus moments, and, and there's a lot of other stories about that. But mostly, in order to develop a lasting, relationship with Christ, it takes a journey. 
You know, after a 10-mile rugged hike on the Appalachian Trail and sitting around a fire, or after hours of working in the boat shop and sanding uh, a, a boat, um, that's the time when, when I can really talk into the lives of young people, where we can talk about what it means to, to live a Christ-centered life, where we can have conversations about faith, religion, spirituality, quiet times of self-reflection with solitude, time to be still under the stars or atop a mountain. The culminating experience at our small high school, the Urban Promise Academy, right before our seniors graduate, I take them into the wilderness for a rites of passage. We go up to the Adirondack Mountains of New York State, a six-day hiking and paddling experience. Both physical, mental challenge is, is part of it, and, and that trip concludes with a 24-hour solo. I leave the students, each one on an island, by themselves on Lower Saranac Lake. They have a tent and some basic provisions. Most importantly, they have a journal book. There's three assignments I give them as I leave them on their island. The first one is a time for self-reflection and self-discovery. I, I, I ask them to examine what it is in their lives that have made them strong, but to also look at what has held them back. I ask them when they're on that island to find something that can represent what it is they need to let go of. The night they come off the island, we have a big rites of passage ceremony around a bonfire, and each student will take that object, a pine cone, a stone, whatever it might be, and toss it into the fire to symbol, the symbol of letting go. Secondly, I ask them to write on an index card a three-by-five card, what their life's mission and purpose is going to be. And lastly, I have them write a letter to themselves, imagining that they're 50 years old. And what do you write to your 17-year-old self? What advice? What thoughts? I can share with you, I don't know if there's ever been a rites of passage, time around that fire, the night they come off that island, and they share these assignments, that I've not weeped, that they've not weeped. And both tears of pain and tears of joy, pain knowing what some of my young students have dealt with in their lives, that I can't imagine, but joy, joy in knowing that they know God loves them, a joy in knowing that they've realized that they're more powerful than they've ever imagined. You know, I'll always remember picking up Shanice from her island, and as she got on the boat, she said to me, oh my God, Mr. C, all I could do was think. She got it. <laughs> or the very first rites of passage, the storm, the storm that 
took down trees and blew tents apart. It was a microburst. That storm and the calmness that followed afterwards has been a metaphor for those students and for myself as well for life. Those experiences where for 24 hours you could only be still and know that's God. You know, so from building boats and planning trips into the wilderness, I, I know my staff and I don't always find that time to be still. But I'll tell you because some years ago, I had a mother that had me stop to learn the things that God had made. So when I reflect on that quote from John Muir, and I think of myself, I like to say I, I only wanted to take a few kids canoeing every now and then. And 15 years later, I discovered by going out, I was really going in. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for this moment, for this day, for this season, for all of your creation. We give thanks for family, for friends, for this church, for this community, for the faithful love and generosity that this fellowship has given to Urban Promise over many years. Lord, we are grateful. We are grateful, we are humbled by your love and all that you have given us. We love you, amen. Thank you. Let us stand and affirm the faith that we share. Using Paul's words to the Corinthians. This is the good news which we have received, in which we stand and by which we are saved, if we hold it fast, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, and that he appeared first to the women, then to Peter and to the twelve, and then to many faithful witnesses. We believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus Christ is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is our Lord and our God. Amen. <laughs>